Hi, my name is Trevor O'Keefe, and I'm the pastor at Olive Branch Christian Fellowship. We're a Jesus-loving Bible church who are committed to studying the words of Jesus, walking in the ways of Jesus, and partnering in the mission of Jesus. Thanks for joining us on that journey today. We are back in Psalm 23 after a brief hiatus. And I have a very special guest who's going to read for us the psalm this morning. So my six-year-old son, Crosby, do you want the chair, bud? He's going to come up and read Psalm 23 for us. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in the green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley in the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. (laughs) Amen, amen. All right, so if you want to open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Psalm 23. Uh, I am excited to be back in it. All right, we had a brief hiatus last week with Pastor Armando from Fallbrook. Uh, We actually began Psalm 23 two weeks ago. Trevor gave us this beautiful introduction to the psalm where we saw God as our shepherd, our personal shepherd, who is able and qualified, right? Who is capable and qualified to be our shepherd. And I hope that whet your appetite for the rest of our journey as we go through Psalm 23. While we are back in Psalm 23, our journey through it won't exactly be linear. So how many of you out there, when you get a few chapters into a good book, you can't help yourself, but you're the ones that flip back to the back of the book, the chapters in the back, just make sure you know what happens. No, I'm, I don't do that at all. But I know that some of you out there do that. Uh, we're kind of doing something like that uh, with this. We're actually going to be looking at today, we're going to be looking at verses 5 and 6. Uh, next week, we'll go back to pick it up again in verse 2. Um, but this week, we're going to be looking at verses 5 and 6. So I'm going to read that for you again, just those two verses that we're going to be studying this morning. I'll be reading from the ESV here. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, when we were studying, Trevor and I were talking about uh, teaching Psalm 23, and I I found myself thinking, what would it have been like to be in the room when David wrote this psalm? When David wrote this psalm, what was the tone of his heart? Was he happy? Was he sad? This is by far one of the most well-known passages of Scripture. And you got it. I kept wondering, did David know it was going to be a hit? You know, like he wrote about 73 or more of the Psalms out of the 150 Psalms we have in our Bible. And I found myself wondering, was this 
in his mind, like, oh, this one's good, you know? Or is it, what, what was his tone? Was he happy? Was he sad? He was a musician, of course, so was the melody reverential and deep? Or was it, you know, fast and exultant? I just found myself wondering what it would have been like to sit as David wrote this psalm that has come to impact so many people all across the world. Did he sense God's spirit writing the words through him, or was he unaware of the cosmic moment taking place? Did he just think, oh, this is just another little poem I wrote? David wrote this likely when he was king, but he's recalling back to his shepherd days, of course. You remember when we first are introduced to David in scriptures, he is a shepherd. And I don't know if you noticed, but the psalm starts out talking about God in the third person, right? The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down. He leads me. And as the poem goes on, David moves to the more personal second person, The pronoun changes from he to you. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I don't know if you caught that switch in Psalm 23. It's almost as if David couldn't help himself, right? Such was his deeply personal relationship with his shepherd that he naturally transitions from talking about God, right, to talking to God. And it's with that intimate tone that David exclaims in verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Notice we've switched from uh, the metaphor of shepherd, where God is our shepherd, to one as God as our host. And in ancient Bedouin culture, they had this, this law of hospitality. This law of hospitality where hospitality became a guarantee of protection, of safety. And here it is, God is our host. Someone who is worthy, who is capable, who is infinitely capable, right? Someone who is qualified. God as our host means a guarantee of provision and protection for us. And that's what we find here in the Psalms. With that hospitality, he lays out before us a beautiful banquet, a beautiful feast, right? We, if you've journeyed through the psalm, you know that the psalmist just came out of the valley of the shadow of death, and there before him is spread this beautiful banqueting table full of all the choicest foods prepared by God for him. And of course, this time of year, it's not hard to pull up imagery of either a Thanksgiving feast or a Christmas feast when we talk about a prepared table, right? All the good things on there, the mashed potatoes, the turkey, the stuffing, whatever else is on the table. Um, all those, you know, and the table's so full. I can remember Thanksgivings where I'm literally sitting with the rolls in my lap because there's no more room to put the rolls on the table, right? And that's the kind of imagery I get where God just filled that table with so much good stuff. Um, this year... You know, we were talking about Thanksgiving. I don't know about you guys, but in our house, we only eat Thanksgiving food on Thanksgiving. Like the only, there's only one time a year I eat mashed potatoes and stuffing and turkey like that. And it's on Thanksgiving. So my wife and I were joking. It's like, it's not really our favorite food. And she was like, what if we do ribs this year? And I was like, that was not a bad idea. (laughs) I don't mind that. But it's this beautiful image of a table that's full of food. 
right? Prepared before us. And the wild part is, right? The crazy thing about it is, is this is, God does this in the midst of a battle. It says, in the presence of my enemies, in front of our enemies, we have this table that's prepared for us. And it's kind of this hyperbolic picture of David sitting at a table while people are trying to kill him. He's there enjoying a Thanksgiving Christmas style feast while the battle rages around him. It's not the hasty bite of a soldier in a foxhole. No, it's an unhurried meal in the middle of a war. And it's so crazy to think that God does that. It's also interesting to see that the the enemies aren't eliminated. The enemies are there. We're not to be misguided into thinking that a life following Jesus will be free of battle, either spiritually, physically, socially, emotionally. But God prepares a table before us in the midst of our enemies. It doesn't matter because God is our shepherd and he is a good Shepherd, he prepared for us a banquet, a feast full of good things, a table overflowing. David's son wrote these words. He brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. God brings us to this banquet of abundance. That's the goodness of our shepherd. That's our good shepherd who provides for us and protects us while our enemies are around us. Now I'm reminded also of the story of the prodigal son, the, um, which is in the book of Matthew, the father or Luke, the father's wayward son comes stumbling back to his father's house, ashamed for how he had been living, the way he squandered all his uh, parents' money, the sins that he committed, he comes ashamed back to his father's house. And he's hoping that he can just get a few scraps from his father's table. If you guys are familiar with that story, though, what happens? The father runs out to meet him, right? The son just wants a few scraps from the table, but the father runs out to meet him and declares the day a celebration. The son says, no, I'm not worthy, father. I'm not worthy. And the father says, no, I'm not going to hear any of that. You're my son. So what does he do? He puts the, the ring on his finger, uh, right? He puts the, the robe on his shoulders. The fattened calf is killed. You know, that's like uh, for us, like the carne asada is thrown on the grill at that point. Like, you know, this. And then what does it say? It says there was music and dancing. It actually says that in the Bible. There's music and dancing. It was a huge party, such a big party that his brother, who's way off in the field, heard all the festivities and wanted to know what was going on. That's our God. He throws us this big party, this banqueting feast before us. And like the prodigal son, we come with nothing to offer, right? We come begging just for scraps, but God welcomes us as his special guest. It says, you anoint my head with oil, right? We are God's special guest on whom he bestows his favor. You anoint my head with oil. There's there's a few ways in which oil was used to anoint people, both in scripture and culturally uh, during that time. Culturally, it was an ancient practice to welcome guests in such a way with fragrant oil to refresh them from their journey, to soothe them from their journey, right? They'd just been walking on this journey, coming in, uh, and from our story, they've just come through the valley of the shadow of death, right? They probably don't smell too good. And so the host would anoint their head with oil uh, to allow them to smell good. And especially back culturally and during this time, 
don't know if you guys have ever been downwind of a camel, but it's a good thing that your guest is anointed with oil before they come into your tent. But they would anoint them. It was kind of a, a gesture of honor for those that they would uh, invite into their home. And in scripture, it's also used in several different ways, right? Oil is used to consecrate the priests and the kings during that time, marking them as set apart for God's service. David was familiar with this because it was David who was anointed when he was a shepherd by Samuel that he would be king. His head was anointed with oil, and Samuel saying, you're going to be king. God's set you apart to be king. Oil was also used to anoint the objects, uh, to set apart objects for God's use. Think of the objects in the temple. Those were anointed with oil. But oil in scripture also speaks of joy and gladness. Isaiah, in Isaiah 61, says, Jesus grants to those who mourn in Zion the oil of gladness instead of mourning. Again, it sa- and it sounds wild. Remember, this is happening in the presence of enemies. This is happening when David, you can imagine David sitting at a table in the middle of a battlefield while enemies surround him. David is saying that in the midst of that, God has given him identification as an honored guest of the Lord. There's another parallel in which we could view the anointing oil, that of protection, health, and peace. There's a pastor who was formerly a shepherd, an actual shepherd. He wrote a book about Psalm 23. It's out in our resource table. And he talks about how every summer, these flies would just annoy the sheep. They'd be flying around their head, and it gets a little gross here, but they would try to find a mucous membrane and lay eggs in their nostrils which is disgusting. And then the eggs would hatch, and then the worm would go into their brain and stuff like that. It's gross. But he was saying it's so bad that these that sheep would often beat their heads against rocks to try to find relief from all of this. And as a shepherd, the way that he would care for and protect his sheep is he would have this special mixture of oil, and the shepherd would anoint the head of the sheep or pour oil over the sheep's head, then there was peace. It would keep the flies at bay and everything that the flies would bring with them, and the, she- and the sheep would have peace. That oil formed a barrier protection against the evil that tries to destroy that. And here is David in the midst of his enemies, and God is anointing his head with oil. God, as his host, guarantor of protection and safety, has not only prepared a feast, but anointed his head with oil. God doesn't, and God doesn't hide us away, right? He honors us, that anointing with oil. It's like you're the honored guest. He's not hiding us away, but he is honoring us. He establishes us as honored guests. What does that look like, right? If Hopefully you have some sort of image in your mind of, of David sitting at a table, anointed with oil, eating, you know, the food is out before him. And how, what is his temperament? How is David feeling in the midst of this? Because all around him are his enemies. And yet here he sits at this table, the table of God. I can't, that just, to me, is David having no fear, right? To sit down in the presence of enemies is David having no fear. He has no fear of death. He's not worried about what may come because God is his protector and provider. 
He's not worried about what's happening around him because he's sitting at the table of the Lord as an honored guest, one anointed by God. The sting of death has been removed, Scripture tells us. And in fact, those who dine at the shepherd's table to die is actually gain because when we die to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When we die, we, it's not the end for us. It's not the end when we die. We get to go be with the Lord. We get to go home and be with the Lord. And it's easy to talk about this in a, in a room uh, here in Poway, California, United States of America. We're, we're all here saying, oh, it's a, you know, nice Sunday. It's a little cold today. You know, what do you want to do afterwards? Get tacos. Okay. But think about the implications of passages like this for the people we just prayed for, right? The persecuted church. People who can't meet like this, who are under duress, constant duress, either from the government or from local leaders or their neighbors even or whatever, Right? Think about, think about the power of these words for them. Where God says uh, to them, you know, I prepare a table for you in the middle of your enemies. And I'm going to anoint your head with oil. Yeah, the power. We, have, we're, we are given an invitation to dine with the king of the universe here in scriptures. And yet oftentimes we don't treat it like that. Right? We treat it just like that's another sales catalog to breeze through and then sit back on the shelf. Right? We glance through it and then move on with our life, but in it are the words of life for us. Think of that promise for the persecuted church. Charles Spurgeon said about Psalm 23, he said, This psalm has poured balm and consolation into the heart of captives in dungeons. Right? Think of the power of this psalm. It's great an encouragement for us today, but think of the encouragement these words hold in it for those that are experiencing that valley of shadow of death or are feeling the actual physical presence of enemies around them. Do we get the power of this psalm that Jesus says, oh, I'm going to make a table before you no matter what. I'm going to anoint your head with oil. Our good shepherd prepares the table. He anoints our head. His blessings and protection are over us. It's so rich that it overflows. My cup overflows. My cup runs over. My cup runneth over, if you're the King James. Uh, do we get that? Do we see how God is so good to us that our cup is overflowing? We have an overabundance in our lives because of Jesus Christ. Because there's never a limit with God, right? There's never a limit with God. He's not like us. We have limits. This last week, I was talking with a bunch of guys from this church about our limits, right? We're discussing. We all have limits in some capacity, financial limits, emotional limits, uh, you know, brain limits. There's only so many things that we can do, time limits. But God has none of those things. God is not limited like we are limited. He never sleeps. He is never careless. He is never indifferent to our well-being. Our shepherd always has our best interest in mind. And it's with that knowledge that David could say, my cup overflows. I have more than I need, more than I'll ever need, even in my neediest state. There's an abundance with Christ. And then in six, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. 
This could kind of be seen as the, as the summary of the whole psalm. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. It's a boast by David. It's not him saying, I'm awesome, right? It's not him saying, wow, I'm so good that all this goodness is going to follow me. It's him saying, because of my shepherd, because of my shepherd, I will continually see God's goodness for the rest of my life. It's a boast. It's a boast. Of course, David and we don't deserve it. It's a boast about who Christ is. And after declaring God is his shepherd, he says, God is my shepherd, personal, right? He leads me. He is with me. Even in the darkest nights of the soul, God is with me. David is declaring God is for me. With God as my shepherd, goodness and mercy, or in some translations it says steadfast love, will follow me forever as long as I live. As long as I live. In some translations, instead of surely, it says only goodness and mercy shall follow me. As if there was nothing else to experience in life with Christ. His goodness and mercy overwhelms everything else that it feels like it's only goodness and mercy following us. And the word follow there, follow me, it does not mean that it's trying to catch up with us as if we're ahead of it, never, never to have it encounter us, right? The, the language there means that we can't get away from it. It's God's goodness and mercy. They're upon us. They're always chasing us. There is no escape from his mercy, and there's nowhere that we can depart from his goodness, from the goodness of God. We are privileged sheep. We are in a privileged position. His attentive care guarantees that we experience his goodness and his mercy always. No matter what comes in life, right? Goodness and mercy will always be written into our story, written in the blood of Christ by the bold hand of God. We will experience God's goodness and mercy. Lamentations 3 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. What an encouragement. When you woke up this morning, God's mercy was right there waiting for you. Before you even could think because you didn't have your cup of coffee yet or whatever, God's mercy was on you, right there, waiting for you. And we need that encouragement, right? We need that encouragement because, of course, our nature pulls away from recognizing God's goodness and mercy on our life. We constantly need a reminder of it because God's mercy and goodness are not only upon us when we feel like they are. God's mercy and goodness are not only upon us when we feel like they are. They're always there. And when we don't sense it, when we are walking maybe through the valley of the shadow of death, we need to preach sermons to our soul to remind us that God's mercy and goodness are following us. Every day his mercy is upon us. Every day his goodness is after us because he is good. He can't be anything else towards us. Psalm 139, my probably my second favorite psalm, says, How precious are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Right? God is for us. When we depart from that ever-present truth, we need God's word written upon our hearts to remind us, to pull us back to remembering God's goodness in our lives. Because we we're prone to forget. 
right? When times get hard, that's when we usually forget about God's goodness. We are constantly in need of course correction by God's truth, by God's truth. We will inevitably wander. We sang it earlier, prone to wander, forgetting who God is. And we'll, when we do that, we begin to see him like us, right? We begin to see him limited of only temporal goodness or conditional mercy. We make God out to be a limited, uh, limited like us. I'm reading a book right now about what it means to grow in Christ, that idea taken from Second Peter that uh, we would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in it, the author talks about the same idea, how we are in constant need of Scripture to bring us back in line with the truths of God. He says this, We unwittingly dilute Jesus. We cut him down to what our minds can naturally imagine. But the Bible corrects us, tells us to stop doing that. We can only create a Jesus in our own image, a Jesus of moderate gentleness and mercy, without a Bible. Scripture tears down that diluted Jesus and lets loose the real Christ. Right? We need scripture to remind us. We need psalms like this in Psalm 23 where we are reminded that goodness and mercy are upon us because of who God is, not because of who we are. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. God's goodness follows us. The question is, do others know that God's goodness is upon us? Do others experience it? Are we passing it on to others or is it only for us? When people leave our presence, are they left with the aroma of Christ or the aroma of death, as the Bible calls it, of selfishness, of worry, of fear? According to studies, anxiety is more prevalent now than it has ever been. Scientists don't know exactly the cause of it all, but they believe it to be the effect of many things. And it's not just adults. There was a survey done a couple years ago that found 70% of teens say anxiety and depression is a major problem among their peers. 70%. They're worried about everything. We're worried about everything from academics, relationships, climate change, family problems, all the way up to nuclear war. And here's the thing, though. As Christians, I'll let you in on a little secret. We know the future. (laughs) We know what is going to happen in the end, right? We know how it all turns out. What's more, we have the promise of God's mercy today as well as the hope for tomorrow. What do we have to be afraid of? Romans 8 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right? Nothing can separate us from God's love. He lavishes his love upon us. Our cup overflows. Goodness and mercy are always with us for the rest of our lives. We have a capable and powerful shepherd who is for us. And when someone talks to you, do they find someone who knows that they are eternally secure? Or do they find someone who's fretting over what's going to happen maybe next week or next year or anything like that? Do they know that they're talking with someone who knows their cup is overflowing? That they're going to be with the Lord the rest of their life? 
do people know that goodness and mercy are ours in Christ? You know, I can tell if my wife has worn a shirt or a sweatshirt of mine because her aroma is left on it, right? And it's an aroma of fondness for me. Are we leaving behind an aroma of Christ for others to know about? An aroma of goodness and mercy? Or do they see me just complaining or anxious or worried, right? Do they see his goodness and mercy when they look at me? When I interact with others, do they see his goodness and mercy? We are Christ. And with him, we can be in the midst of a battle, right? We can sit down at a table in the midst of, the enemy, of our enemies because we have a shepherd who provides and who protects and more and provides more than we ever need, right? Our cup overflows. He is for us. His mercy and goodness are upon us. And then it says, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If the first half of verse 6 is the one-line summary of the poem, the second half is David's parting emotional conclusion. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will be in the presence of the Almighty God forever. And of course, it doesn't mean that David's going to be in the temple or that we're supposed to be in a church building for the rest of our lives. No, it's It's not a physical structure, but a network of relationships with God as the head. The Bible uses this house uh, terminology to talk about the house of Judah, meaning the family of Judah, the house of God. For us, it's the same thing. It's the family of God, the people of God, the flock of God, where God is our shepherd. For eternity, we are in care of Yahweh as a member of his household. That sentiment that David says there that will be in the house of the Lord forever reminds me of the, another psalm that says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Or the psalm that's just a couple chapters after this one, Psalm 27, that says, one thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. What a glorious invitation we have to be in God's house, to be in his presence with no desire for change because we are glad to be his. In the presence of God, that's where our hearts are set at ease, right? That's where our hearts are set at ease. We might be in the valley of the shadow of death. It does not matter because God sets our heart at ease because he is a good shepherd who protects and provides. It gives us confidence and security that we can be in the midst of our enemies, and sit and dine with the Lord. One of the assurances the psalmist is confident of is that he will never lack God's leading in his life. David has made God his shepherd. That means for the rest of his life, God's leading him, protecting him, and providing him all through his life, right? We all, and we, you know, some of us have a few amount of years left. Some of us have many amounts of years left. And we don't know. We don't know when our expiration date is, but we can be excited about the future because God provides us with no fear because he is our portion. He is our prize. And when we die as humans, it's not the end, right? That's what we have as followers of Christ. It's not the end. We can have no fear in the presence of enemies. There can be going through the the valley of the shadow of death and have no fear because we have confidence in Christ. He provides mercy. He provides goodness. He provides our eternal security. It's him as protector because he is our good shepherd. Psalm 23 is is a powerful psalm. 
speaking of God as our shepherd who leads us, who is with us, and who is for us. And I, and I hope that all of us, we would sit with the word, these words this week, and we don't just keep this a Sunday thing happening here, but that we would be able to meditate on these words throughout the week. So if you aren't already, I would encourage you throughout this week, just pick up the Bible and read through its six verses. So read through Psalm 23 a few times this week as we continue to study it. Don't go through the week without allowing the words that God has written to change us, to form us, to shape us. Without reminding you that your good shepherd provides for you. Your good shepherd protects you. He welcomes you as a son or daughter. He gives you more than enough. You have an overabundance with him. That his goodness and mercy are ever upon you. Let it remind you that your future is secure and that God's presence is our reward. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God, we cling to those words Lord, written by David long ago, but inspired by your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts today. God, we know that you are a good God who is for us, who is perfectly capable and powerful. Lord, to protect us, to provide for us everything that we need. And Lord, when our eyes are turned away from you and towards the enemies that surround us, the troubles that surround us, God, bring us back. Use your words to bring us back. Use your truth to bring us back that we might focus and gaze upon your goodness and your grace in our lives and understand that we have a, we have a shepherd that loves us and that we get to be in your presence forever as your children. Amen. Thank you again for listening to the Olive Branch Christian Fellowship Podcast. For more information about our church, go to olivebranchcf.org.